God in whom you put your trust says, I make all things new. I make all things new. So let me give you a little RSV, Ron Smith version, paraphrase, that's not going to be pleasing because it's never easy. I will change everything. I make all things new. I'll change. Oh, that's good today. That's really wonderful today. You know, I changed our life kind of dramatically when I, I bought a puppy in the middle of December. You know, this morning, it was one of those cold mornings this morning, right? You came up, there was lots of ice on the car, if your car's outside and everything. And so I let my puppy out to feed him early this morning. Before I could stop him, he ran upstairs and jumped on Dorina. <laughs> Anybody that would like to invite me home for lunch afterwards? <laughs> or maybe, a, maybe I'll have to go with with family promise or something for a little while just to reconcile. I'm sure my wife blessed me early this morning that all things were new in our house. I don't think any of us easily live into that thing called change. But stop and think about this one. Moses, the greatest leader of the Old Testament, certainly, I mean, David is up there, but so let me, let me say, for the sake of safety and truth, maybe one of the two greatest leaders in the Old Testament. It's either probably David or, or Moses, at least they get the, the most ink in both the Old and the New Testament. One of the greatest leaders is now gone. God told him he wasn't going to be the one to get him into the promised land. The Bible says that God buried Moses. Wouldn't you have liked to heard that funeral sermon? God buried Moses. And now Joshua, here he is in the midst of this transition. Now you remember Joshua. You remember a little bit about his life? God was trying to do something wonderful in the hearts of the people, but it was going to be steeped in change. They were going to move and go into the promised land. Do you know for 40 years, what should have been a three and a half week journey, for 40 years they wandered in this place because they were familiar with it. Even though they were in bondage in Egypt, that's what they knew, so that's where they wanted to be, because when Moses comes down from being with God, of all people, God, it says he wrote the Ten Commandments with his finger on the tablets of stone, and Moses was coming to give the word of God, the people were worshiping a calf. Because that was the life they knew. And they melted the precious metals into gold and worshiped the calf. But God was trying to move them to a new place, to the promised land. And so Moses sent 12 spies into the promised land. He wanted to get a report on what that looked like over there. And you know what they did? They came back and said there are giants in the land. Giants. Hey, remember Goliath? 
They were telling the truth, weren't they? And you know what one of the ten said? They're going to squash us like grasshoppers. Wow. You know, sometimes it's really important who you believe. The Bible says, faithful is the one who called you who will also do it. Who do you believe when the tension is on in your life? Do you believe that the people will squash you like grasshoppers? Or do you believe that God has made promises to you and God can do anything? God can do anything. God can do anything but fail. So Moses decides he's going to have a talk with Joshua. You know one of those talks? Think about that. Moses, the mighty deliverer. Moses is the guy who holds up his, his staff in his arm and the Red Sea part. Who's going to do that? Talk about a guy that's hard to follow. Joshua was one of the captains in the ranks of the army of the Lord. He was fighting the Amalekites. And every time Moses had his arms up, Joshua would cut through the ranks of the enemy with the sword, and the battle was going to belong to the Lord's people. But every time Moses' arms sank, the troops of the Lord were overcome. Hey, if you were Joshua out there with a sword in your hand, what's your prayer? I think it was a prayer. God, please strengthen the arms of Moses to keep his hands up. And do you know the Bible says that Aaron and her came alongside of Moses and they held his arms up. And the victory was won. Now, Joshua, who knew he was a dead man, unless God was in it, strengthening the arms of Moses is the guy that gets summoned to the meeting. You know, the Southerners call it the come to Jesus meeting. And Moses <laughs> begins to tell Joshua, you're the one who's going to lead the troops. You know, you, you can't hear scripture only while it's being read but in between the lines there's this what me you know when i went to bible school they taught me to sing this song it's you it's you it's you that makes the world go round it's you it's you it's you that makes the world go round it's you it's you it's you that makes the world go round. It's you that makes the world go round. What? Isn't that great news at 945 on a cold winter morning? Your pastor says it's you that makes the world go round. Say what? See, he's chosen you with an everlasting love. How many excuses were deep on the list for Joshua of why he could never, never, ever measure up to follow Moses. But this is the God who makes all things new. All things. He's taken Moses to glory. And now the people of God have to move forward and across the promised land. But there's only one thing about getting across the promised land. There's this big place called Jericho.
it says that they can, uh, not the Bible. History says that Jericho's walls were such a wonder they could race several chariots abroad. Now, the Oxford University Roundtable for Religion said this. There were probably, their estimate, a million and a half men and women, boys and girls, crossing the River Jordan. And the first place they have to go is Jericho. Let's adapt it to the modern context where the next NASCAR series is taking place on those thick walls. Men and a half, women and boys and girls on a camping trip. <laughs> the walls of Jericho. A guy trying to follow Moses when he knows his hand is more accustomed to a sword. But say, what does a sword do against walls that thick? You see, God has a way of breaking us in life. It'll either be God's way or no way. And in the end, it's not about the vote of people anyway. By the way, did you know that the people voted no, 10 to 2, about going into the promised land? They said, there are giants there. They'll squash us like grasshoppers. But Joshua said, yeah, but it is a good land flowing with milk and honey. Do you know what else about Jericho? Jericho was an oasis. Even today, they have five fruit harvests annually because it's an oasis in a desert region. For it to be a land flowing with milk and honey, you have to have grass to get milk. And there's an oasis right across the river in the promised land. There's only one problem. The walls are so thick they're racing NASCARs on the top of it. When they sent Joshua in to spy out the land, the people found out that there were spies in the land. And do you know who took Joshua in and hid him? A prostitute. And she said, I know the people of God are coming. That's the scuttle in the reason. The people of God are coming. But she said, if I give you refuge and I let you down out of this window, is there any room for me in the things that God is doing? And the men of God said, hang a scarlet thread in the window. Walls that are going to get destroyed in a little while. And what's the difference between whether a sinner gets destroyed? Just a sinner, a prostitute, an outcast living in the city wall. Does God ever want a person like that? But the men of God said, if you put that scarlet thread in the window, you will be saved. Think of that. All of your future, the difference between death and the difference between life, hanging in one Scarlet thread. Giants in the land that can squash the people of God. And Moses says to Joshua, you're going. I'm what? You're going to go. With what, a sword? Walls like that? 
I know it's a good land. And yet Deuteronomy 34 says this, Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands upon him. How many godly people have laid their hands on your life? And yet if you've accepted the call of God to live into that life, you had no idea what dangers are within and without. There's a Jericho waiting for everybody that tries to follow the Lord. But I have this question, a profound question. It was Joshua's question. How big is your dream? Is your dream like the dream they dreamed when the Holy Spirit fell on them at Pentecost? When it says, your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will have visions in Acts chapter 2. Is your dream God's dream? Because if it is, you'll never get there by yourself. The enemy's walls are so thick. You're going to feel like you're going to get squashed like a grasshopper because who can stand in a world where there's giants? Oh, it might not be the giant like Goliath. It could be a giant called pain, resistance. It could be the giant of a, of a scheme that's a, a scheme that can take you down surely. There are giants in the land. But the Bible says faithful is the one who calls who will also bring it to pass. And if it's God's dream and your dream is the big dream of God, God is able. What will a million men and a half, a, a million and a half men and women, boys and girls, what will they do against walls like that? Well, they marched according to the word of God. Hey, isn't that a great phrase this morning if you're coming to church? Do you march according to the word of God? You see, sometimes we march to a drum that's okay for society, but it just doesn't square with the word of God. But the Bible says your word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. We'll hide it in our heart that we might not sin against God. You see, sin is real. Sin doesn't show up on the on the radar screen of the modern politic of humanity. Matter of fact, it's built into the plan most of the time. But God's going to rectify it all by bringing us in a one-on-one -on -one come to Jesus meeting with him. And he gives us the chance of saying, was my plan your plan? You know the four spiritual laws that Billy Graham used to use that were developed by Bill Bright, the founder of the Campus Crusade for Christ, the opening of the four spiritual laws is, do you realize that God has a wonderful plan for your life? Joshua would say, of course I know he has a wonderful plan for my life. It's just there's one big place called Jericho, and I'm out here on a camping trip with a million and a half men and women and boys and girls. Hello! Hey, Dan, Dan Guth, I love to put you in the middle of the sermon today. What are you going to do when you got a sword in this hand and Peyton in the other and you're looking at Jericho, huh? 
Talk about wanting to visit the crying room. Huh? Think about the reality of what the, the message is. But the Lord said the walls are going to fall. And for a prostitute in the wall, one scarlet thread, the difference between life and death, heaven or hell, redemption or so locked in my sins, I could never, ever, ever get out. Do you know the next time you see Rahab is the walls are laying on the ground. God has knocked the mighty fortress called Jericho down. And in the rubble, the men of God are looking for the prostitute. You know the next place you see her in Scripture? In the genealogy list as one of the great, 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 great grandmothers of Jesus Christ. Now answer me this question. How does a prostitute wind up in the genealogy of Jesus Christ by choice? Because you see there's a scarlet thread in each of our lives. It's not as big as the fortresses of this world and we can't even pose a resistance. But if it's God's scarlet thread, it's the difference between life and death, eternal life. That's why we start every communion service with this phrase, the saying is sure, worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You know the next place you see Rahab? In the Hall of Fame faith chapter in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. A woman who was dark in sins and locked up in the thickest wall in the ancient Near East. And now she's a heroine in Hebrews 11. That's the kind of God that was behind Joshua. That was the big dream that Joshua pursued. How big is your dream today, Trinity? And how uncomfortable will that dream be if you dare to dream God's big dream? It's steeped in so much change. Man, you know what's going to happen on Tuesday? I have a birthday. I've already asked the mayor if at the police station they could lower the flag to half-mast. <laughs> the death of any vitality surely dies on February the 12th. I, uh, there I am. Now, you tell me how a guy that gets my age has changed at the center of his big dream. Adrena yells at me if I don't change my socks. I'd probably wear those babies so often that in the morning I'd just have to whistle and they'd come running to me and jump on. <laughs> change? What? No, Joshua, I'm, I'm going to change it all because remember, this is the God who makes all things new. This was the question God had to give back to Joshua. If you want to dream the big dream, how big is your commitment? How big is your commitment to God changing everything? How big is your commitment to doing What's going to look like something that the giant is going to squash like a grasshopper?
That's insanity. Today, we as pastors would have written in every psychological journal 10 reasons why in Leadership Magazine you don't take on the giant when you're the size of a grasshopper. How big is your commitment to the big dream of God? Finally, the real question and the real substance of it all is, if the Bible says faithful is the one who calls you, who will also do it, maybe we really ought to ask this question. How big is your God who made you and is asking you to be on his team? And who does God put on the team? Can I say this this morning? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We don't have room to say who the winners and losers must be if all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. You know why? The prostitute in Atlantic City might be the very one Jesus loved so much he's willing to call her mother because of a scarlet thread called salvation, redemption. The first one at the tomb was a woman out of whom Jesus had cast seven devils. Tell me, how much healing did she need in her mind when people reminded her of the kind of things she participated in when she was possessed by seven devils? Not worthy, not worthy, not worthy. And here's the arms of Jesus. Come on in. I love you with an everlasting love. I give you myself. I give you my salvation. I give you my name. And where my name is found, your name will be found. And so Rahab from Jericho, the enemy of God, shows up in the genealogy of Jesus. But it took a Joshua who believed God could bring salvation to help get her there. I don't know which of is, is, is greatest. The fact that Joshua helped get her there or the fact that it took a prostitute on a wall named Sin to get Joshua safety to return to the people of God. But here's one thing for sure. Sinners, we need one another. We need God. And we need the love of God. And we need the God who brings this kind of thing to the church. Listen to the quote. You be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. How big is your God? By the end of the story, when the dust all settled, Joshua knew that God was right in his word. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. After the funeral of Moses, do you know the name of the book that appears in Scripture next? It's called Joshua. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. God wants to give you a big dream. God wants to give you a big commitment. God wants to give you 
himself. A God that's so big you can't get over him. So big you can't get under him. So big you can't get around him. I'll close with Paul's words on this last sentence. There is one God who is all in all and in you all. Amen.